IMDB Journey podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, the king to Dean's porn. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and I'd rather play chess with death than ever watch this film again. Ooh! <laughs> Jeez! Well, you've heard his final thoughts there. <laughs> uh, what did you say? The king to my porn? Yeah. Uh, do you mean P-O-R-N? No, I know you would think that. <laughs> the king to my pornography. <laughs> you wish, Hendo. <laughs> but no, let's not bury the lead here, mate. Today we are breaking down Igmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. And what a lead it is. I'm sure everyone's very excited and eagerly waiting to hear our very in-depth and educated and researched thoughts on this film. I really feel like we're going to go into Dean's rocky territory on this one here. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure we will because at least I was passionate about Rocky. Man, you just, you're, you're already just go, going at this film. I'm already out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but how have you been besides watching this film? Uh, yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Honestly, nothing to report that is of note. What about you, Hendo? Oh, okay. Well, I've been all right. It's been a, a fun week. Nothing. It's not drab. It's not bad. Weather's been all over the joint, I guess. Pretty good, except for today. Yeah. I did buy a new surround sound system. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we had our, our last one carked it a couple of months ago, so... I tell you, it's you just don't know what it's like watching a movie with the volume off the TV. I do know. That's oh, how I watch everything. Man, you are missing out. No, I used to have a, a sound bar and sub and everything. It's just, I don't know. The, the sound on my TV is good. It's not as good. Not as good. I mean, I know it's not as good, but I think unless you're going to have speakers that actually surround you, um, I don't see the point. Well, that's what I've got. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Oh, nice. I've always had that, the old 5.1 surround. Oh. It's good stuff. Engulfs you in it. Hmm. But I know that you don't like to watch trailers and all that stuff. Correct. I wish that you would uh, get a little bit more info on movies in general. I, I feel kind of bad for you whenever I ask you. Don't feel you, bad for me. But, you know, do you know about this movie? No. Why do you feel no. bad for me? I feel no. bad for you because you're so excited to talk to me about movies I don't know about yet. Yeah, that's right. I do feel bad for myself that I have to deal with your shit. I hey, don't feel hey, bad Hey, what do you at think all. about this? Oh, what is that? And I have well, to bloody well, explain well, it to you. Give me an example. Don't just talk in riddles. Well, what we had a couple of new trailers come out. Jojo Rabbit. The trailer for Jojo Rabbit came out. I'm the Hitler one. Taika Waititi. Yeah. I know all about it. Next. Taika Waititi. Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, Rebel Wilson, Alfie Allen, Stephen Merchant. What are you doing? Trailer was pretty good. <laughs> okay. Anything else? What about, have you heard about the Goldfinch, the Pulitzer Prize novel winner? No. What are you talking about? The, what is this novel that can win a film award? The Pulitzer Prize? Yes. That's not a film award. What is it? It's a book award. Uh, That's why I won it. What's the book? It's about a boy in New York who... Spoiler, spoiler. I won't. What do we do? This is why I don't watch trailers. I'm not. No. You're already going to spoil something. I said spoiler, spoiler. I'm don't. Not, I'm not saying what it is. I'm saying that. I'm not going to say this. Oh, yeah, yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. Yeah. It leads to the point don't where. Don't say spoiler, spoiler. You make people think spoilers are coming. Well, this is the plot of IMDb, and I know that you don't want to know much about it. But so don't tell me. I'm not telling you. <laughs> Certain events happen that leads him to steal the goldfinch, which oh. is a painting that eventually draws him into the world of crime. Draws him into the world. Yes, is that a it, pun there from you, Hendo? Well, a pun from IMDb. <laughs> They've taken care of this one. It's got Ansel Elgort in it. Isn't that a soft T? I think we've gone over this in Baby Driver. Pretty sure it's soft. You say Elgort, I say Elgort. We're like a regular Harry and Sally. Isn't that right, Sally? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but most notably, it's got Nicole Kidman in it as well. Ugh. It's uh, It looks good from the trailer. Uh 
could could have a couple of good Oscar contenders in it. Really? Yeah. So there's the Goldfinch for you. Just, okay. Just a little heads up for you so you don't get to December or something and go, oh, what's this Goldfinch everyone's talking about? No, I would never say that. I would say, yeah, I know all about it. Were you a fan of Zombieland as well when it came oh, out? Oh, yeah. Have you seen Can't the- wait to double tap my ass into that one. God damn. <laughs> That's right. I didn't even go with double tap ever Stone's ass. I said my own ass. <laughs> No, I have not seen the trailer. I've seen a poster, though. It looks... She's looking damn fine, isn't she? I mean, it it looks like a sequel to the film. Wow. Yeah. That is some deep analysis. There's honestly nothing that really stands out for this one. It's like, all right, they're back again. They're doing their their thing. Mate, their thing was great in the first one. and I'll definitely go and see it. And you know what's great? I haven't seen the first one in ages, and I'm not going to rewatch it. Really? Yeah, because I want... I want... I'm sure you're going to miss some of the jokes that they're going to reference back to the first one. I feel like I'm just going to... They're probably going to reuse so much of what they reused in the first one. Like, at the end of the day, it's a funny zombie film, and if they're going to reuse it, I'd rather not remember the first one. All right, I can see your logic there. I might go watch it, watch it again, and then we can do a comparison to see who thought it was funnier. Okay. But the last one I wanted to talk about here is A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, the uh, Tom, Tom Hanks with Fred Rogers. Yes. It looks really good. Does it really? Oh, yeah, definitely. Really? Tom Hanks looks like he, like he looks... He acts like Fred Rogers in this film. You know, you know who else looks and acts like Fred Rogers? It's Fred Rogers in the documentary. Yeah, won't, won't you, you be, be my, my neighbor? neighbor? Yeah. From but this year. isn't the story of Fred Rogers. This isn't. This isn't so like. Why a bio- are you only talking about Fred Rogers? Why don't you say, "Man, it looks good." That guy who is friends with Fred Rogers really nails it. You mean Matthew Reese? Sure. Do you know who that is? Is he um? Is he the guy that goes back to save Sarah Connor? No, it's the guy from the Americans. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah. Now you now you're excited, aren't you? Oh, he's really good, and he's in like bugger all I've seen. So yeah, and look, yeah, the trailer no, looks really good. Russell. So nice. get pumped for that. It's gonna be good fun. Good fun. Yeah. Okay. Nice heartwarming. Is it G? I'm sure it's a G. Okay. Yeah, it definitely looks uh, heartwarming and gets you in the feels. Tom Hanks for Oscar. From the look of it, I you know it's. I think he could make a run at it. Mm. We'll see what happens. Indeed, we will. All right, Hendo, what are we doing today other than breaking down the classic Seventh Seal? Well, we'll take a look at some reviews that some of the listeners have given about the movie. I love reviews. Yes, you do. And we'll also take a look at the question of the week. What is your favourite foreign film? Mm. Which is our top five as usual, which will lead us into the competition that we do every week to see who has won some sweet, sweet merch this week. Definitely. And then after that, we'll take a look at the Pod v Pod 24 draft results between us and Duty from Shaken Not Nerd in our horror slasher characters draft. And then after that, we're going to have a look at the final eight results in the best 1980s film tournament. And then last but not least, it's Dean's turn to choose what film we're going to be breaking down next fortnight. Surely it's Seventh Seal worthy. I thought you were going to say Seventh Seal 2. I was like, oh, he's there? Can't wait. I mean, do we even need to go to the breakdown now? We could just move on to listener reviews. We all want to know what you think. No, don't be silly. Stop trying to get out of breaking down your pick. I'm really looking forward. Now, I know whenever it's my pick, I put in so much extra effort to really delve into the psyche of these films and really what they mean in a broader scope of things. So, Yes, the I'm- psyche of Batman Begins. And Groundhog Day. Your two, two and Hachi. Of your, two of your all-time favourite films. Hachi. So easy to get into those Hachi. breakdowns. Hachi. You're like you broke down Hachi. I loved Hachi. <laughs> Now, I've just, yeah, as I said, I'm looking forward to what you're going to bring to the table today. Well, because you're going to bring nothing. I you're just going to bring that. slander. You're just going to bring Igmar Bergman's name into the mud. I will bring reactions to your garbage. <laughs> God. Well, the listeners know what to look out for now. But before we do that, give me the update. 
All right, Hendo, what changes have we seen on the IMDb Top 250? I hear that uh, a little-known Tarantino film may have debuted finally. Yes, you are right, Dean. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is in the list. As expected, we thought it would be. It has debuted at number 72. 72? Yes. Actually debuted at 71, didn't it? Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But, but what I'm looking at right now is 72, okay. and that's all the info I'm going to give you. Fair enough. So that's it for the update, is it? No, let's look at some uh, other changes here. Toy Story 4 has started its decline. It's gone down 27 spots to number 165. Neon Genesis Evangelion, the end of Evangelion, that bloody movie, dropping five more spots down to 223. We see Hacksaw Ridge has dropped three spots down to 181, as well as Raise the Red Lantern is down to 246. They're your biggest changes. In terms of moving up, not too much. There's nothing really worth mentioning there. But taking a look right down at the bottom of the list, as we do, out of the list now is Winter Sleep and Song of the Sea. And as we mentioned, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is in. And in the list now at number 250 is Drisham, The Sight. What is Drisham? I'd rather not not get into that right now. Why don't we get into that in, uh, you know, eight years' time when we pick it? Is it an Indian film? It sounds like it, doesn't it? It does sound like it. It's called The Sight in English translation. That's all I can give you right now. Hold on, I thought you're the one that doesn't want to know about these kinds of movies. Why don't you just keep the mystery to you, you know, to yourself? I must say the uh, the star of the movie is Vijay Salgyonkar, so I think it is Indian. I think he's got a couple of films in the top 250. Directed by Nishikant Kamat. Uh, I got nothing. All right, before we get into The Seven Seal, please be warned, if you haven't seen it, we will be spoiling it from the get-go, so you've been warned. All right, Dean, let's do it. Let's get into The Seventh Seal. The Seventh Seal, released in 1957, starring Gunnar Bjornstrand, Bengt Enkerot, Nils Poppe, Max von Sydow, I know that name, Bibi Anderson, I also know that name, with music by Eric Nordgren, cinematography by Gunnar Fischer, and written and directed by Igmar Bergman. I know that name. I do know that name too. How many films have you seen of his? I think two. This and Persona. I think I've seen five. Wild Strawberries. Yep, I've also seen Fanny and Alexander. And maybe it is only four. I'm sure there's another Igmar Bergman film in the top 250 that I just can't put on my finger right now. Can't put on your finger right now. I'm not sure that's the expression, Hendo. Tip of the tongue or some nonsense. No, it is only four. Fair enough. Some might say four too many. Well, showing your cards early. I said some might say that. Well, you just said it, so. Some might say it. Maybe it's me. Who knows? I do. (laughs) I do, because it's me. (laughs) So Bergman actually began writing the screenplay for this movie while he was in Stockholm Karolinska Hospital recovering from a stomach complaint. Okay. So he was sick. Basically. The script was actually initially rejected. Bergman would end up rewriting it five times. It was only after the success of Smiles of a Summer Night at Cannes that it started to be considered more seriously. I mean, I did a little reading on Ingmar Bergman here, and his father was a very religious man. I think his profession was related to religion, possibly a uh, cardinal, priest maybe. Yep. Um, But he was... I read that he was like he was like idealized Hitler as a young boy and okay. felt like great shame about that later on in life hmm. which I found odd yeah but I mean I guess at that point like he was probably you know a very he would have been young when Hitler was rising and you can understand the appeal like I mean fucking millions and millions of people did yes. so 
you know, don't beat him up too hard on it. But I don't know. It's, it just sounds like he had a very interesting childhood, which clearly shaped the way he sees the world and obviously his art in film. Yeah, a majority of his movies do have a bit of a bit of Bergman flair, I guess. They're, they're their own little movie franchise, I guess. Franchise? Yeah, you can tell a Bergman film when you watch it. Lots of uh, use of light, faces looking at the camera together, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Bergman credited this film for helping him overcome his crippling fear of death. Obviously, because the film dealt so overtly with the subject, he he found it quite a highly cathartic experience. I guess if you actually make a personification of death, it becomes something more tangible that you can deal with. Yeah. Whereas if it's just this very broad and open idea, it's much more difficult to control and mould into how you want to see it. So I can understand how making this film, especially writing this film, would be very cathartic for him. He also said the inspiration for this film was said to have drawn from the period films of Akira Kurosawa, who Bergman was a big fan of at the time. Can't blame him for that. Absolutely not. But this film was released on the 16th of February in 1957 with a runtime of 96 minutes. Sharp. Filmed over a period of 35 days with a budget of $150,000. No record of, uh, you know... Gross. Gross at that time. Was nominated for the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in 1957. Did win the jury special prize at Cannes in, in the same year, though. I hear that's quite a special award, actually. Very good. Well, well done, mate. <laughs> yes, no, Igmar Bergman definitely got a lot of recognition for this film, and I think it it did sort of break him out a bit more. Yeah, this guy's made a lot, a yeah. lot of movies. He's credited for 70, but I'm not sure how many of them are making ofs and whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah, But regardless, he's done. A, he has directed a lot of films. Prolific. But as always, let's take a look at the history of The Seventh Seal in the IMDb Top 250 list. This was one of the films that debuted in the very first Top 250 list back in 1996 and has never left the list. Debuted at number 76 and has been going up and down its entire lifespan. Its lowest point at one point was in 2005, it hit 140. It peaked all the way back up to 74 in 2007. And since then, has just been on a very steady decline for the last 12 years, where it currently sits at number 147 with an average of 8.1 over 145,000 ratings. Very impressive. Yes, it is. I mean, there's a lot of love for this film out there. There's a lot of love for Igmar Bergman in general. I mean, I'm. I'll just say now. I just don't. I don't. I don't get the hype. I do not get the hype for this. Is it? Director. Is, it a, is it a time thing? Is it at the time these movies were? They could very well be. It I, honestly could be. I don't see it. I don't see it. Even the time thing. I don't see it. It's. It, they're very. They're very different. They're very much. They slow. Well, let, let's get let's get into this one, shall we? Well, obviously we got more Bergman films to go on the top two fifty list, but let's deal with Seven Seal for now. Seeing as you picked it, Hendo, you got a plot summary for us there. Of course I do, mate. A man seeks answers about life, death, and the existence of God as he plays chess against the Grim Reaper during the Black Plague. I see. All right, mate. Let's get into it. I'm assuming you skipped the credits at the start. No. Why? What? Why would I skip you them? You are so... I, I looked at these credits, I'm like, yeah, Dean's already fast-forwarded this, like, 30 seconds. Fast-forwarding doesn't exist. Like, I don't Ding, fast-forward. Dean clicked or... Yeah, this isn't VHS. I'm not fast-forwarding. Did you get up and get your drink or something? I just no, I just picture, I, I just picture I honestly, you looking at this going, oh, credits, here we go. No, I, I think you're really misrepresenting me here. I think the only <laughs> time I'm really fast-forwarding credits is if I've seen them before. I'm not sure I'm ever fast... Actually, I did with Ben Hur, didn't I? In fairness, those credits... That's like six minutes long. They were really long. <laughs> <laughs> These were fine, you know. Started my notes. And away we went. We got some very loud music playing. Yes. 
Very dramatic. We're on the beach. Yeah, we see this shot of the sky and we see a bird in there. I mean, I know it's the 50s, but man, this was such an obvious just puppet being waved around in front of the camera. <laughs> Did you pick up on it? I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, no, it wasn't a real bird. So, But now we head down Strike to the beach. Strike one, oh, Bergman. God. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's 10 seconds. He's like, oh, man, this is terrible. No, 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 no. no, no. We do get down to the beach and we get some voiceover here. When the lamb had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, this gets repeated at the end, at of, the the end of the film. Now, obviously we know this is a very heavy biblical-style film. I didn't realise it was biblical going in. And anyone who's heard our Ben-Hur podcast, I'm, I know very little about religion and I have very little interest in it. All this. Yeah. I must I- admit, in all, in all seriousness, when I was, after I'd watched it and I was doing notes and I was doing a bit of research on it, I really don't even feel qualified to... <laughs> to talk about this, like, well, I, I wanted to know what the seventh seal was. Like, it's it's the name of the movie. It's a big discussion about this film. So, I, I, like you, I did a bit of research here, and the seventh seal refers to a biblical passage about the end of the world from the Book of Revelation. Very good. Used both at the very start of the film and again towards the end. The assumption being that the seventh seal has been opened and the plague is the result. And obviously, the Black Plague is throughout this entire film. So the first four seals described in Revelations are more commonly known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. When the first seal is opened, a white horse appears. The rider carries a bow and is given a crown and then goes out to conquer. The second seal is a red horse, which bears a rider who carries a large sword. Power is given to this rider to take peace away from Earth. This seal represents war. Hmm. The third seal is a black horse with a rider that carries a pair of balances, representing famine. And the fourth seal is a pale horse, and the rider is named Death. The rider has the power to kill using sword, hunger, death, and with beasts of the earth. And then you get to the fifth and the sixth seal. Where the fifth seal is opened, the author of the book of Revelations looks under the altar of God to see the souls of those who were slain because of their belief in the word of God. And the sixth seal is a great earthquake in which the sun goes back and the moon goes red. The stars of heaven fall to the earth and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. It's just basically like fire and brimstone, just the just destruction yeah, of the world. Old Testament God. That's right. And you, lo- I know you love your Old Testament. Sure, why not? So, what do you make of all that? I'm, um, I'm glad it's the first time I'm hearing all that. So, I like it. I like knowing what the seals are. I think that you know the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I get all that. That's yeah. good stuff. It's all very interesting. And even going back to this quote about the lamb, the lamb obviously, I, I would say, represents the innocence of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the silence in heaven. Silence is a big theme in this film and how our main character, what is it, Antonius? Antonius Block. Antonius Block. How he struggles with the fact that he cannot talk to God. He cannot see God or feel God. God is just a silence and he is demanded to have faith for it. So I think it actually does set up the film quite well. Yes, it does. Look at that. We started on a somewhat positive note. Is it all downhill from here? Don't be so negative, Hendo. Yeah, you've already done all that for us. But like you said, we have Antonius Block here lying on the beach with his his steed, his mate, his squire. squire. His squire. Squire. Yons? Johns? No, it is Yons. Yons. Surely. Yeah. It's got the little two dots above the O's. I actually think I heard the word Yon said, or Yons said, you know, by one of the characters. It's weird because the character B.B. Anderson plays in this. Pretty sure her name is Mia, Yeah. but my subtitle said Mary. My subtitle said Mia. Wow. Odd. Are you sure they weren't talking about how... No, no, no. No, it's not about the Virgin Mary because okay. it is... Okay. Good, 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 good. Just check. But death arrives on the beach. 
They have a little conversation here. And luckily, Antonius convinces him to play chess for his life. Yeah, and Death basically says there will be no reprieve, but then immediately sits down to play chess with him. Sure. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like it's sort of like he knows when he's like when he's being asked to play chess that like I know why you're doing this. You're just trying to, you know, prolong the inevitable. Yeah. There won't be any reprieve, but then plays anyway. Maybe he wants to have a bit of fun. He knows he's gonna win. It is inevitable. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. That's the whole I think that's the whole point of this movie where we are all playing a game of chess with death. Yeah. We all know that we're gonna lose this game. And it's all about how how we play and how we live life to the fullest. That's very good, Dean. You know that the chess pieces used in this film were sold from Igmar Bergman's Descendants Estate in 2009 for one million Swedish krona, which is about 145,000 US dollars at the time. Makes sense. I like that this film, there's not a lot of comedy in it, but... There is a little bit. There's a little. And even this bit here where it's like, where death gets black. And he's like, it seems appropriate. Yeah, that that was a good little touch. It's good. Let's just talk about death here, because I know this character of death more from, say, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, uh, Last Action Hero, all this yeah. sort of stuff. Like, it's so obvious that Sir Ian McKellen in Last Action Hero is this character. Well, in, last, in last Action Hero... Has he it- come from the Seven Seals? Yes, he has. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. that makes sense why it's to a T. <laughs> um, okay, so that's where I know this character from. It's, it's, a, it's a good representation of death. Because I like that it's not like this is death. This is end of the world for, you know, a, on a personal level. Yeah. But it's not some big horrific monster. This is this is a personification of it. Whereby it's not someone who's angry. It's not someone who's vengeful or conniving or mischievous. This no, he's is just, just there. He's just a fact of life. Yeah. Is death, and he plays it like that. He does. He does it well. Yeah. The actor Bengt Ekerot. He puts in a pretty good performance here as death. Hmm. But Antonius and Jons. Get on their horses and head off. I must admit, I was really confused at this point um, because obviously you've seen it before. Do you remember your first time viewing and any Vaguely. thoughts from that? Super vague. So with me, like he's playing chess with death. Yeah. And then we cut to him on a horse. And I'm thinking, I honestly wasn't sure if this game of chess is he was imagining it and now it's not real mm. or whether we've done a, a time jump backwards. So this is le- this will all lead up to his game of chess. Okay. But as it turns out, as we all know now, who anyone who's seen it the chess keeps coming back like this is an ongoing game of chess and it's not like he's walking around with a chess board but in reality that's what's happening yeah like this game is starting and stopping throughout this film Hmm. which to be honest i didn't mind and i say that because i would not have liked time jumping and all that sort of stuff in a film like this yeah it didn't didn't need it i like how you see the progression of antonius's character as the chess game continues on Mm. like some of the moves that happen in the chess game mirror what is actually happening on his journey back to his home his castle what do you mean some of the moves Well, we'll get to those. You talk about the light little bits of comedy here. This part here where they come across the guy sitting on the rock and Jons goes to check him out and it's a dead body. Mm. And as they walk off, Jons says, oh, yeah, he's most eloquent but very gloomy as he's talking about what he said to him. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can say it is a little bit of um, a lighter comment. Yeah. (sighs) This this character of Jons, he's very um, nihilistic. He's very much a... We're all going to die. Like, what does it matter? Live live the life in the moment. Yeah. One thing that got my attention was these transitions. They There's a lot of them that fade into a bright white and then fade out as opposed to like normal transitions, I guess, where they fade into black and then come back in. Did you notice these transitions? No, I didn't. 
Yeah, it struck me as a bit weird. I must say, though, this obviously this is a black and white film. The lighting in a majority of this film, very, very good. They they use lighting like in certain particular scenes that just convey the, the exact feeling that you want in this film at certain points. I think it's one of the best things about this film. The is, lighting. Is, is the basic cinematography of this black and white 50s Swedish film. Okay. Are you going to, like, give me one scene where you thought it was very well used? No, we'll get to that. Okay, now we get a change of pace. Yes. We get, is it Joff? Joff, Mia, and Jonas. Jonas, yep. And Joff, their baby, and Mikhail. Mikhail, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Joff is a little playful here. He's so- his little front flip when he gets it, man. I tell you, I've, I don't think I've ever been that energetic when I've woken up. <laughs> he is a strange unit, this one. Definitely strange. He reminds me of Roberto Benigni. Yes, good call. Yeah? Good call. Yeah, I can see that for sure. For sure. Um, so we find out they're jugglers struggling with food and money. It makes sense, actually, because this guy, Nils Pope, he's actually a Swedish comedic actor. So he plays that role pretty solid. Yeah, so we hear music. I'm not sure if Joff actually hears the music too or whether that's just the score. Because he does look up and we see what I thought looks what looks like a queen. Turns out it's mm. the Virgin Mary. Yeah. And he's he gets all excited, obviously, if you have a vision of the Virgin Mary. That's fine. So he goes and wakes up Mia. And her reaction to it is not what I expected. She's just like, eh, yeah, okay, you you have vision, like another vision, like come on. I've already proved that your visions are bullshit when what was it? You you painted something and I found the paint under your fingernails. And it's like he's he's sort of like, Yeah, but I know I lied then, I just wanted you so badly to believe me because I am telling the truth every other time. It's such a hard a hard thing when you have to lie to try and get someone to believe you. But then if you're caught, you're done. Yeah. But they bring their kid out for a little play in the grass. I did notice the quite bad audio dub of the kid. Did you hear? Did you pick up on that? No, no. There's definitely points where you hear a kid like laughing, and you're looking at the kid. It's just like the stone faced. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. But they go rest in the tree, and he sings her a song. Do they just leave that kid to bugger off? They're not even paying attention to this kid now. They're like facing away. I saw the kid walk off. It was a different time, Hendo. <laughs> you know, they didn't have to worry about nah, murderers, come back. murderers and rapists. They were protected by visions of the Virgin Mary and Jesus probably. I don't know. I don't know. Probably. Okay, but we're back. We're back to the two original men, Antonius and Jons. Ah, yes. And the, and Jons goes into the church and he sees this man painting death. And painting the plague, and he's very, he's very curious. It's about the dance of death. Why are you painting this when you could be painting something, you know, a lot more positive? And he says, he says basically that the fear of death and the 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 emotion of fear is what gets more people to to be faithful, to believe, and it creates a stronger response from people. Yeah, you got to have the good with the bad. If you don't have anything there to fear, you don't have you wouldn't really have anything there to cherish or praise. Yeah, and they're basically the church at this point is saying that the plague is an act of God and it's a punishment from God mm. for all the sinners. Yep. And that's been like that through generations and generations that Everyone is saying, like, you know, your time has come, repent, repent. The the end is near. Like, look at 2012 or uh, 2000, like, uh, Y2K bug. And everyone just goes on about how everyone's just been sinners and sinners and this is your time to – your time has come. Mm. It's, it's coming through generations after generations. Yeah. And like you mentioned before, you got Antonius here. He thinks he's talking to a priest. He's talking about how he doesn't think that God's 
there for him. He's he's almost like he's lost his faith. He wants knowledge. This is what he's after, knowledge. Yeah, and for sh- I mean, for sure he's he's lost his faith. This is someone who you know, he says he says so much here. I actually thought Listen, I'll be I'll be honest. There was there's not a lot in this film I actually enjoyed watching. Yeah, look, I know we're 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 talking, we're breaking we're not, down. We're this. not trashing it as we go through right now at this point. Just for me in general, this I know we're talking a lot about like religion and faith and that, but overall for me, this this movie is generally quite boring. Yeah, it's very boring, and to be honest, there's not really an excellent for me um, in this film. If I had to say what I liked the most, I think this discussion between Antonius and the priest who turns out to be death is my... Excellent! Simply because of the sort of the trick that death plays on him where he gets Antonius unwill- unknowingly to reveal some sort of strategy he has of this game of chess with death. And then, I mean, this is someone who's really opening up, who's pouring his heart out. He's really like deepest thoughts about about faith and about the silence of God. And like, he's being asked if he wants to die. And he's like, yeah, I do. But I want to guarantee that I go to heaven. He's like, I need, mm. I need to have faith. Like, I'm, I'm scared, basically. And the fact that this turns out to be death and not this, you know, this sacred, safe environment of talking to a priest, I thought that was probably the biggest huh moment for me in this film. Did you know that was death? No, I didn't. Really? Because I thought it was so obvious it was death. And I don't remember that it was death. See, the problem The problem for me is it's a man in a big dark hood, but it's a black and white film and it's a priest, so I can imagine a monk is like that. Okay. Like, like I guess he looked pale, but it's super old, it's black and white. I, 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 yeah, no, that wasn't clear to me. That's cool then because I, from what I saw, I, he rocked up on the screen I'm like, okay, that's death. And then when he got shocked, I'm like, how did you not know that was death? But the fact that you thought it was a priest as well, okay, fair enough. That's I wish I thought that. I think it's good though, as well, the way he challenges the way he challenges religion here. And I know this is a pro-religious film. Yeah. I get that. But I like that it does present the other side of it. Like the why why is this God, this person, this person, this I don't know, what do you call God? Being. This being that is the Almighty in this religion. Why do, why must he hide in these half-spoken promises, unseen miracles? Like I like that there is another argument presented there. Now I get that he does come around, but I thought even presenting the other side of the argument is something that maybe wouldn't have always happened mm. in a film like this that is so pro-religion. No, oh, fair enough. So they end up leaving the church and they end up coming across a, a young woman who's apparently she's been condemned to be burned at the stake. A witch. Uh, yes, for consorting with the devil. Maybe it was because she weighed the same as a duck. Different movie. Ah. Actually, there is a there's a couple of homages from the Holy Grail in this film. In particular, when the group of religious people are walking through the streets and they're they're doing their hymns and then flail, like yeah. whipping people. Is very much the same as when the religious hummers are walking through the streets and they're hitting themselves in the head. Yeah, with I did the, not know that. Oh, really? Yeah, I learned that through this trivia as well. I'm like, okay. okay, fair enough then. Yeah. Now we are to understand that this is the same woman later on who does get burned at the oh, stake. For sure. Okay, for sure. Just double checking. For sure. I kind of felt like Antonius was being a bit of a dick here when he's talking to this woman and she, for these guards, she is a perfect prisoner. She is catatonic, yeah. not making a sound, not moving. He goes over to her, wakes her up, and then fucks off. And it's like, mate, these poor guards now have to listen to her wailing like a crazy lady. <laughs> oh, thanks, bruv. <laughs> 
I like that. I like that the guards say that this woman is thought to be the entire cause of the plague in town. Yeah, it's just all her due to all of her intercourse. They had uh, a lot of weird and wacky theories back then, didn't they? It was a different time, Endo. But they come across a house and hey, this guy, Ravel. Ravel? Let's go with Ravel. Stealing this gold bracelet from this dead woman. What are the odds, right, that this man who 10 years prior convinced the knight, Antonius, and the Yons. squire, Yons, to go on this crusade, that they run into him again? Uh, must have been a small world back then. Small miracle. Well, well, let's. We haven't talked about fair. the Crusades. Okay, so these people have been away from Sweden, their home, for ten years. What do you know about the Crusades? Nothing. Well, I I don't think I know much at all about the Crusades. But what I imagine is is my belief that the Crusades are them going to other lands to basically preach the word of God. Okay. So I find it quite ironic that. These people who are doing that, these religious men who are trying to, you know, spread the word, uh, like one of them is completely at, at odds with it. He just cannot get on board with, you know, his faith and he's very unclear in himself, let alone talking to other peoples. Yeah, but not only is this guy going to steal this bracelet, he's uh, he's going to get a little aggressive with this mute girl. Thank God that Jons is there to save her. It's quite aggressive, our Jons. Quite the, uh, the hero. But uh, Yon's is a little yeah. aggressive with her. Takes takes that heroic status back a little it's bit. Kind of just like, oh, is he the one that says, "I hope my wife is dead, so you can yeah. you can be my you know house cleaner and cook or Pretty something." Pretty much. Like, wow. He also gives the threat to Ravel as well. If I see you again, you'll you'll get a, a branding, a slashing. Yep. Which obviously comes to fruition. Does. But obviously, she joins Yon's into town where they they find these actors performing. This this circus scene is terrible. Yeah, not not the best here. It's I mean in a in a very boring film this would be one of the low points. This this performance is super boring and then this procession of religious people is super weird and boring and then the the fact that this girl Lisa, this whole subplot with Lisa, I'm not sure if there is some huge greater meaning to it. I'm sure there is. But for me, surface level stuff, I just thought it was so stupid. You've got she's just making these little eyes with the main guy. Jonas. Jonas, thank you. Does a couple looks over her shoulder at the husband and then leaves. Like forever. Like that's Apparently her- she's done this before though, and she always comes back. You can I- see how manipulative she is later on when she goes back to Porg, I think his name is, after they exchange words, and she's like, Yeah, you, can- you should kill that guy. I was wondering if she- this was like a plan, like to save him, she was saying this so he could do something. No, she legitimately did not care. Yeah, and I'm sure she's done this before. Should have burned her. Well, she certainly gets her comeuppance at the end, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah, this this ceremony of people going past, whipping each other, carrying the crosses. I mean, the, at least the rest of the movie has some sort of notion of an intellectual discussion that we can talk about. You know, we've 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 already shown it here. We've had some decent conversations about religion and God and death, and this, I don't know this part along with the 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 performance of the jesters and that. Yeah, it, it couldn't go past any quicker for me. No, I absolutely agree. Problem is, it doesn't really get much better here because this, as I said, this subplot with Porg, it's very boring. I don't like this character at all. I didn't actually mind the public speaker guy who was there telling everyone, you know, you bought this on yourselves, everyone's going to die, this is the Black Death. I do like Yon's response to that, saying, "Why do they expect modern people to take that drivel seriously? It kind of still uh, plays true to this day and age. So we're at the inn now, and we've got Porg just... He's talking to Yoff about where his wife is, and I couldn't work out why Yoff was so confident and 
very flippant about it all. Did he not realise that it was Jonas, his mate, who he was He has gone? to know it was Jonas. He's talking about another actor. I think he's acting this part. I think he's, he's just yeah, trying he's, to be cool and calm. He's Even when Ravel comes over and goes, I think you're lying. You're like, oh, you know, come on, what are you talking about? I'm just... just oh, he knows guy. he's in trouble straight away. As he's soon as trying Ravel to stop comes it. Along, yeah, he's in strife. Ravel's a genuine piece of shit. Like, he's the guy who dies of the plague later, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, thought so. Good. Yeah, but they definitely twist the screws on Joff about Jonas and the wife and, you know... At least there's some sort of story going on here at the moment now. This whole thing about Joff imitating the bear. This is where I think the lighting really works well in this. With the flames that are coming on here, they've, they've, they've set the, the table on fire underneath him. So I felt like it looked really good. That really good contrast between the black and the white here. Okay, nice. We get Yons. Yeah, he steps in. Do you see Joff quickly grab the bracelet and run out before it happens? Saves the day. Yeah, that's right. Good on him. Good on him. Nice slash. I thought he it looked like he's, he slashed it right across both of his eyes. Oh wow! Yeah, it looked like a lot of blood was pouring out of this guy's the the way he was the way he was covering his face it looked like blood was coming out of his eyes. Good thing it was black and white. Well, I could tell if it was you know if it's gotten darker, it's obviously the blood. <laughs> but this is where our two separate parties meet here over a little wild strawberries and milk. It's a uh, yes. Swedish tradition here. Wild strawberries. I quite like the uh, I don't know the aesthetic of. Come and share my warm milk. Because it's not like they had fridges. That's true. Okay. And they're drinking bowl. They're drinking this milk from a bowl, like this communal bowl, this huge round bowl. How awkward. That's how they Have did they it. Have they not invented a smaller, more upright bowl, otherwise known as a cup? And it's wild strawberries. Can you imagine, how would you like to come and sit down for some store-bought strawberries? Like, no, nah, mate. <laughs> get, what is this? <laughs> get that drivel away from me. If it's not wild, it is not worth it. <laughs> I did appreciate some of the dialogue, though, between Antonius and Mia here. He said he's weary. He's he's very weary. You know, he's tired because he's got such bad company. And she's like, oh, do you mean, you know, Jons or whoever else, she says. And he's like, no, it's it's me. Yeah. And I thought that was really telling, like, sort of this, this inner pain that this guy is, has to bear every day where he just does not like being with himself. He, this is a man who is struggling within. And you can tell this is really a highlight of probably his life, but definitely his most recent times when, you know, Joff playing the song and, you know, he's drinking the milk and he says, I'll carry this memory between my hands as if it were a bowl filled to the brim with fresh milk and it will be an adequate sign. It will be enough for me. These, it's an important it, moment. It absolutely is. But he walks off and who shows up? But death. They play a bit of chess. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, you know, you got Antonius, he's smiling, saying that death played into his trick. I I don't know what specifically he's talking about. Yeah, I don't know either because the uh, the trick doesn't come back. And yet, I don't know what he's thinking about here because death death got his strategy from him. Now, do you think maybe Antonius is trying to act like he knew? So, oh, you played into my trick. I gave you a fake strategy or something like that. Maybe, but I think I think this bit where death ominously asks about Yoff and Mia and their baby even. Yeah. About, oh, they're going through the forest. Yeah, I'll catch up with them later. Like, how are they going sort of thing. It's very... You know, it gives Antonius something something to do. It gives him a purpose. Yeah. You know, like he's basically he's got death now who because he's because these innocent people are now friends with Antonius, he's put them in peril. Yeah, and, and he needs to fix that. He needs to save them. Yeah. But they end up staying in town and uh Jons talks to Plog about his wife. Yeah, I really don't like Plog. He calls him a greasy cuckold. <laughs> Really? Yes. Yeah, I must have missed that. <laughs> a greasy cuckold. Oh, yawns. But he tags along, apologises to Joff. I mean, okay. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like any of this. And, you know, as they're travelling, they just happen to stumble across them walking around in the forest. 
You know, a little chase and Small sues. town. Hmm. Hijinks ensue, I guess. And here's where they trade some insults. This could be some sort of lighter comedy moment with Plog saying some insults and you got Yon's in the background going, good one. Yeah, that, yeah, that was all right. It's it's a lighter part of the film. Okay. I like, he starts off as like, yeah, I'm going to kill you, but all, all of a sudden they're just giving each other light verbal insults. Well, he says to him, like, yeah, right, kill me. And it's like, well- He puts on the acting performance. It's like well, reverse psychology. I, I can't kill you because you want me to kill yeah. you. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, this Lisa. God, she's the worst. Yeah, she is. The absolute worst. She's not good. Not a good person. It is funny, though, how Jonas fakes his death, stabs himself, lays on the ground like, yeah, he's definitely dead. And you just see him sitting there breathing. (laughs) Did you notice? I was watching like, yeah, okay, he's not really put on that big of a performance. It worked. It did. It's only not like only for a tiny little bit, though, because you know he climbs up the tree and here comes death with a, a hacksaw or some sort of some sort of saw. Yeah, he's he's a bit coy here as well. He's, this is this is definitely a lighter moment. We've got death starting to cut the tree down, and you know Jonas is sort of looking down like, oh, here's this guy cutting a tree. Oh, he's cutting my tree. Like, what are you doing? Now, would this kill you? I mean, if death did it, it would. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, argue with that. Yeah, good point. But that's the end of him. <laughs> Okay. Shattered. (laughs) But as the main crew continues along, they get to this supposed witch again to be burned at the stake. And and Antonius talks to her about- He's a desperate man. He wants to speak to the devil. He's like, well, you're a witch. Have you Mm -hmm. spoken to him? I need to speak to him. I need to speak to him about God. Yeah. And there's a it's a decent conversation about like her eyes are filled with terror. And like, you know, I'll have do you think I've seen the devil look into my eyes? You know, yeah, you can you can tell from this woman. And and then he goes to speak to the driver. And who is it? It's death. He's there. He's waiting. He knows what's coming. Yep. But there's a bit of sympathy here for this woman. While the uh the soldiers, the guards Kind of have their back turned a little bit. They offer her some water and he gives her- Some herbs. Some herbs to numb the pain. Even Yon's is like, I was thinking about killing all these guards, but she's too far gone. Yeah, yeah. there is some sympathy for her. And even as she gets up on the stake and you see the genuine fear in her face and that emotional response from Antonius of what he's watching, I, I guess it's my- Excellent! I mean, this is probably the best acted scene in the film, especially obviously from Max von Sydow, with Jons in the background just discussing what is happening here. They're both paying for this woman, and you just got Antonius just restraint in sadness. He is biting his lip here in just genuine emotion. It's a touching scene. Yeah, so I mean, I disagree, but it's I understand why yeah. you think so. But here's where they come across Ravel with his plague, screaming for help. You know, he mentions, you know, he's afraid to die. You know, obviously when you, you're knocking on death's door is the, is the perfect time to when you're going to be the most afraid. But even Yon says, you know, he's, the, the mute girl is trying to help, going to go and help him. He's like, no, he's too far gone. You just got to let it go. It's it's done. And yeah, he just dies right in front of him. Good. Good, mm-hmm. good, good. So we get to this next scene with Yoff. I'm so confused with Yoff and Yon's. It's definitely Yoff. Okay. So we get to the next scene with Yoff, and he's with Mia, and he can actually see death, which I guess, does this confirm that his earlier vision is true and correct? Oh, I always thought he saw the Virgin Mary there. Okay. All right. Well, either way, he sees death, is right near them, playing chess with Antonius, and he says to Mia, this this is our chance. We we need to sneak off. And I believe Antonius sees the Oh, he, know, he's, scene, he yeah. knows. This is important that he knows. And this he's is his aware. moment of redemption here yeah, as well. This is where he knocks all the, all the pieces off the board, and death is able to put them all back, but in this moment, he does save Yoff, Mia, and Mikal. And it works perfectly well here because Death mentions that nothing escapes him. No one escapes him. Yet Antonius makes this 
sacrificial move of leaving his queen out to Mm. be taken so that he can start get the attention on him throws that shady move where he knocks all the the pieces over of course death's going to remember where every single piece was and that's the point where he gets his retribution he's helped someone escape death he's he's basically he's kind of beaten the system Mm. i must admit i was a bit surprised when the whole thing is oh we'll play chess and when it's over you know you're dead basically but that's not the case. Like, I was expecting checkmate, you're dead. Like, I'm either about to kill you or you're just instantly dead. But it's not. It's, oh, I beat you. Next time we meet, I'll get you. And it's like, what? Next move is check. No, he, said. he checkmates him and then says... Some of that old school chess lingo. When I see you next... Outdated now. You don't know what checkmate is? He never says checkmate. They never. He goes, next move is check. Okay. I just assumed it was checkmate. But he says, next time I see him, it will be him and his companions' time to die. Unlucky. Hmm. Maybe he should have just stayed on the beach. But even here, the game's over. Antonius, still desperate for knowledge. He wants to know. He's, he's basically just like, well, I'm going to die anyway. Can I know your secrets? And that's like, I don't know anything. Like This is just me. I'm. This is my job, yeah, basically. But pretty much. We get this very slow zoom in on death looking quite menacing with some crazy eyes happening. Yeah. Kind of... Not not what we'd been used to for the rest of the film. But Death does ask Block if he's accomplished his one, you know, meaning-fulfilled thing he wants to do, and he says, yeah, he has, because, you know, he saved the life of these three people. But as Mia and Yoff and Mikhail flee from Death, I guess, in the pouring rain... Well, they say the angel of Death is yeah. chasing them. The other five end up in Antonius's castle. Yeah, he legit has a castle. That's pretty yeah, cool. He's gotten home. Sees his wife. Well, I guess the first time in, like, ten years, is that, that what it was? Yeah, I mean... She- at least she's faithful. Well, they're all religious people. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife. She's reigned true to that. As far as we know. I mean, it's yeah. not like you walk in and she was, you know, balls deeper or anything, but <laughs> you never know. Like, And there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they're all eating and his wife's reading the seventh seal. The same thing that was said at the start. Kind of a bleak thing to be talking about here. I don't know. I didn't mind the line of, uh, don't you recognise me anymore? You've changed too. Like, I think it is important that it is a little heavy handed, but it's important that we are reminded that Antonius has had some sort of journey and arc in oh, this. Oh, absolutely, film. yeah. But he doesn't regret going on the crusade, doesn't regret anything. So, this is a content man. Happened quite suddenly, I would say. For someone who's really been struggling the whole movie, once he has this, this moment of clarity where he does save save these this family, he's content. He saves these three people, but in the process, kills another five or six when he could have saved all of them by not going on this journey in the first place. Yeah, fair point. Hmm. But Death rocks up at the door. What do you think of this this scene? I mean, it's meant to represent the Last Supper. Yeah. Um, again, I think we're bordering on very religious stuff that I just don't know enough about. Yeah, me too. I'm sure. I, I know there is a ton in this movie and probably some in our breakdown that we've just completely missed the point of. Yeah. and If not all of it. Again, that's okay. Like, yeah. yeah, we'll get to it in our final thoughts, which will be coming up shortly because we're nearly at the end of the film. We get the zoom in on the mute girl here who says her only words, it is finished. Now, is that is that the symbolism of them passing over into the, the their spirits since she, she was a mute in her human form? I mean, was she or was it by choice? It's a good point. You don't know. No, I took it as that's their spirit. They're in the afterlife now. And then you get the last scene here. 
Mia, Yoff, and Baby Mikhail. And Yoff sees another another vision of all of them hand in hand doing the death dance. This was actually shot after some of the actors had gone home for the day. So they had to use technicians and a few tourists <laughs> as stand-ins. It was actually uh, a scene that was conceived on the spot. It was never in the rear in like the actual script. They had to improvise that really quickly because of an interesting cloud formation that Ingrar Ingmar Bergman wanted in the background. It makes sense. It's not the worst ending they could have done. No, it's not. But it is an ending. It is. The end of this film. It is. Any last words? Okay, Dean. What are your final thoughts on The Seventh Seal? I mean, I've said, I've said it throughout. Basically, this is a film that you would study in school, in colleges. There is, I imagine, a ton of subtext. There would be so much religious connotations. And that's okay, but that's not me. I'm not the audience for this film. I found this film incredibly hard to get through. I know I haven't trashed it through the breakdown. I've tried to be somewhat respectful that... This is a you know somewhat beloved film by some people. It's not for you and I. This is a super slow, boring film that's very... I mean, it's all about religion. It's not... doesn't appeal to me on any level whatsoever. I didn't enjoy it. I found I found very little to, to take away from it in so much as... Like, I know we've spoken and I know we've had a half-decent conversation about religion, mm-hmm. but it didn't improve it for me. I give it one star. Okay. What about you, Hendo? Well, before I watch this for the second time for this breakdown... I must say, I'm shocked you picked to watch this again. I gave this film two and a half stars when I watched it the first time. Come on. Yeah, and I think this has a lot to do with me just sitting down and just watching it. Just watching it without doing in-depth, super breakdown, having to you know try and put a discussion to this thing. Just sitting down and watching it. And I, th- and I really think the big thing about it was... The technical side of it. And I also think it had a little bit to do with, I'd watched a couple of Igmar Bergman films before this, and this seemed like the best one out of them. I feel like on a technical level, for a 1957 black and white Swedish film, this is really good. I think it looked really good for the sh- like the shoestring budget it was presented on, the, the, the quick production time, decent acting in the film as well. And I give Bergman props for all those positives in this film. However, this is just not an overall entertaining film. The plot, the themes, the subtext, it's just not for me. I'm, I know very little about religion. I don't really want to know anything about religion. It's just not, it just doesn't appeal to me. So when you have so much religious talk about God and faith and death and the afterlife and all that stuff, even after this conversation with you, I I feel like we just had the best conversation we could with who we are. This is just not an entertaining film. And yeah, in terms of entertainment, there's really not much here. In terms of technical prowess, it is pretty good for what it is. It does drop for me, though, on a second watch for a breakdown. And it gets two stars for me. Generous, Endo. Very generous. Can you imagine if one of us was really religious and the other one it wasn't? I don't think this podcast would still be going. I mean, surely it would. Just how, how different would our conversation be? Could you be? imagine me, the religious <laughs> one, and you with your vulgarness? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, that's it, I'm out. <laughs> I was the best because the crowd loved me. Okay, Dean, where's this going on your rankings? Honestly, normally at this point, I'd uh, pull up my list. I'd look at all the films on there, but I I don't even need to look. This is the worst film we've broken down for me from the 250. I think currently my last film was Ben-Hur. Yeah. Uh, this is easily the worst film, Seventh Seal. Okay, well, we are looking at the bottom of the list for me too, and I'm going to compare it to Hutchie here, which is at the bottom they are, of the list. they are very similar. I think both 
uh, you are different in their own ways, obviously. So while I no, listen, no, listen to what I'm saying here. While I would put Seven Seal above Hachi in a technical standpoint, from a filmmaker's point of view, absolutely, this smashes Hachi. Yeah, but that's out not of what the, the list. That's not what the list is. The list is where do you rate it? How do you, how do you enjoy it? Is that what it's about? Is it I about mean, it's, enjoyment? It's not. It's not. There is a difference between favorite and best. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to say. But when you look at Hachi, I enjoyed that more. I would easily go back and watch Hachi before I watch Seven Seal again because I can have some form of enjoyment, some emotion out of that film. A lot Whereas of this, emotion. This whole film is religion and it just doesn't appeal to me at all. So technically, this is better than Hachi, but entertainment-wise, I would definitely take Hachi over this. So Seven Seal is down at the bottom for me too. So there you have it. The IMDb journey... Uh... <laughs> A last placed film. Sorry, film Twitter. Apologies. You can send your hate mail to Dean Jeffrey. <laughs> okay, mate, we've got a quick promo here for Aggle Buddies at the For Your Reconsideration podcast. Yeah, three very funny British blokes, Rob, Simon, James. I was listening to their click episode before, and their walking impersonation is, uh, I mean, they love it. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, maybe could use some work. You know. <laughs> yeah, I definitely checked out uh, their review of one of my guilty pleasures, Rocky Four, and oh. man, they talk up montages a lot, which is <laughs> uh, as they should. And they're, they're very funny blokes. So go ahead and check out the For Your Reconsideration podcast. We'll play their promo for you now, and we'll be back on the other side. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm Simon. And I'm James. We want to talk about those movies, those supposedly bad movies, those movies that bombed. To see if they weren't that bad after all, join us every week on the For Your Reconsideration podcast, part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, on Spotify, and all the usual streaming apps. And it won't cost you a solitary bean, mate. <laughs> it's like it's free. <laughs> it's just like it's free. <laughs> Hey listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show to get our name out there and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. You know, let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and another personal favourite of mine, CastBox. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can contact us on Twitter at twitter.com slash imdbjourney, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imdbjourney, or you can email us at imdbjourney at gmail.com. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. And like we said, if you want to give us a review, send us a screenshot of it to our Twitter. We'll send you out some sweet, sweet merch. We've got a couple of new reviews here, Dean. First one here from Krachowski, which I believe is Sal Krachowski on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. This is a really great podcast that succeeds where so many others fall. The two hosts have great chemistry and witty banter, as well as thoughtful reviews and trivia about all our favorite films. You can really get a sense of honest camaraderie between the two. Keep up the good work. Awesome. We also got one here from Matt from the Bad Casting Podcast. Good dudes, easy listening, and just scroll through the episode list to see the great topics they are always covering. Thanks, Matt. Here's another one from The Money Pitch. Movie lovers will want to check out this journey through IMDb's top 250 highest rated movies. Dean and Daniel, geez, I think that's the first time you've been named first. Clearly they're big fans and they recognise the talent. (laughs) 
They provide plenty of laughs and excellent insight into each film they cover. They've also created a great community with their Pod v Pod episodes, bringing in other podcast hosts to compete in various movie games. It has quickly become one of my favourite movie podcasts. Thanks for that, guys. And lastly, from Captain Geach, what a fun, easy listening pod that talks about some of your favourite films while your ears and brain need this podcast in your life. These guys take a fun and informative approach at reviewing some great films and are definitely worth a listen. Keep it up, boys. Boys! (laughs) Thank you very much for that. We really do appreciate it. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, why not check out our Patreon where we post another weekly show breaking down films not on the IMDb Top 250 list. Yeah, that's right. What have we got coming up this week, Hendo? Well, Dean, we're in the middle of our Mission Impossible series and it's time for J.J. Abrams' Mission Impossible 3. It's the, uh, it's the one I remember the least about. Uh, it's the, uh, the the Philip Seymour Hoffman one. That's I remember one. loving it at the cinemas, so I'm very excited to go back and see if it if it holds up as much as the amazing Mission Impossible 2 does. Yeah, hopefully it does. We've also got two new patrons this week, Dean. We've got Josephine Olnitz and another digital citizen. It's uh, it's great. It's just it's great. That's yeah, all I can say. It's all happening now. We're so excited with what's going on and all the support we're getting from our patrons, so... Yeah, thank you. One thing we forgot to mention, Dean, this upcoming August is our one-year anniversary on Patreon. Been one year already. I think I should buy a cake. Your shout. That's fine, but I'll be the one eating it. (laughs) (laughs) So for our one-year anniversary, we decided to put a little special offer there for anyone who was deciding, you know, on on the fence whether they wanted to join up or not. If you join up to our $5 level or above, we're going to be dishing out some mini Pod V Pods between myself and Dean. Yes, that's right. You can control this pod. Give us five of the ten questions we're going to ask each other, really throw in some curveballs for us and uh, get the conversation happening. Yeah, you can basically pick the theme of the entire quiz that you want us to give each other questions to. So anyone who wants to sign up for the $5 level above, Obviously, you're going to get all those extra benefits and rewards, all those episodes that we've dished out so far. How many bonus episodes are we at now, Hendo? We're almost at probably 50. Nice. Yeah, 50, <laughs> almost 50 episodes that's there for you for a low, low price of $5 a month. You know, what have we said? We're Wes Anderson series, Edgar Wright series, Die Hard series, X-Men series, all the one-off patron request re- reviews we've got. The, Extra the, Tarantino. Yep, the, oh, the Tarantino films, of course. Uh, our Q&A episode, the bonus episode we did on Disaster Movie. Ah, yes. Oh, man, there was some. that was a rough time. Uh, plenty of content out there. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. All right, Dan, let's get into... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. And unsurprisingly, we have just a a small amount of reviews here for The Seventh Seal. We have one over on Twitter from Louis Ream. The Seventh Seal, a film with which each viewing provides for a greater revelation to its symbolism. Melancholy and measured in pacing and knowing full well death will have its way shouldn't plague one's mind with respect to this masterpiece on how to play chess as only a knight. I must say, that's a very well-worded review. Couldn't agree with you more, mate. And let's head over to our Patreon for our awesome patrons. First one here from Chris Beardsall. I've been waiting to see this for years and I wanted to love it, but for the most part, this felt like homework more than entertainment. Max von Sydow is quite good as Antonius Block, but not a lot else really captivated me. I do intend to revisit it as I feel like this film has the potential to offer more on repeat viewings. You know, I said that a couple of years ago when I watched it for you the first time. You said that last week. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched it. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, you go watch it, Chris, and let us know how it goes. But we can't go anywhere without doing our review from... As a narrative, I could barely follow this film. The characters I could identify, but I couldn't really see what they were doing other than wandering around or trying to get away from the plague. Along the way, the heroes encounter some village miscreants. I don't even know that word, Shane. And death shows up every now and then. There's some philosophical speak. Is God real? Is the devil? Because maybe if we can prove the devil is real, then we can ask him about God. I follow this line of thinking underneath. Who cares? <laughs> Damn. For positives, the film is professionally shot. The actors seem skilled and have charisma. But as to what it all meant or what was happening in any particular scenario of the film, I either don't care or don't understand, apart from being material for Monty Python to spoof. <laughs> Looking around and reading reviews, it appears there's a lot of love for this movie, but I don't believe in that kind of love, and it's a little dull in the end. One star. Okay. I mean, I can't argue with you, Shane. Mm, all right. All right, Dan, it's time for... That's my question! The question, jerk! where we asked you, is, what is your favourite foreign film? Now let's take a look over on our Twitter for people who did not get our number ones. Low Carb Monster 8 says, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Ghost of the Stratosphere has Pan's Labyrinth. Spit and Polish nice. say... <laughs> <laughs> Lemonade Joe. Looks like a happy film. Amy Smith says, Battle Royale for me. That's a good pick. It is good. The Manchild Cave says, Run, Lola, Run. Three on one podcast says, old boy. I'm glad they stipulated it was the foreign original. You're glad that on yeah. a top foreign film yeah. list that they stipulated it was the foreign version of the yeah, film, Some Endo. people might be confused. You're confused. You were the only one who would be confused. <laughs> I was confused. clearly not confused. They, they told me it was this one. <laughs> Matty Rip says, Insondi. Nice. David Powell says something I've never heard of before. I think the movie is called 20th Century Boys. Chapter 2, The Last Hope. Okay, so it's a Japanese live-action adaptation of a classic manga. 20th Century Boys! Okay. <laughs> Mateo says, Grave of the Fireflies. Jeffrey Kerr says, Roma. Cinema Recall says, Man Bites Dog. The Hara Club podcast says, Itchy the Killer. Heard of that one? Yes. Mm. Have you? Yes. Mm. Bagwan Shetty says, Lahain. Lahain. Good Lahain. film. Lahain. The Broke Boy Media says, Spirited Away. Last one here from Pirate Scott, Das Boot. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's head over to Facebook. First one here from Chris Waldridge, Metropolis. Is it the first genuine masterpiece? I don't know, but it's amazing. You haven't seen Metropolis, have you? No, I haven't. I didn't realize it was foreign. Ooh, now I want to see it even less. It is a German black and white silent film. Nice, nice. From Dipak Patel, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Lovely patron Georgia Watson says, Spirited Away. Lastly, on Facebook, Clint Chafee says Pan's Labyrinth. And lastly, let's head over to Patreon, once again, for our awesome, awesome patrons. Dan Brennick says Train to Busan. Ben Mulvihill, again, says Pan's Labyrinth. A lot of love for Pan's Labyrinth out there. There is. Here's the first one. Brother Shane, hero. Mm. Brian Grabanowski says I saw the devil. And Chris Beardsall says Old oh Boy was my answer for about a decade, but the more I watch your name, the more I fell in love with it. Ooh. Now, thank you very much, everyone, for your responses. But, Dean, let's get to our top five foreign films. All right, mate, as usual, we'll kick it off with you. What is your number five? My number five is Train to Busan. Ooh. Quite a recent watch from you there. A very recent. Most yeah. recent on my list, that's for sure. Well, my number five, no doubt, is on your list somewhere, is Spirited Away. Ah. 
quite a fine film. We'll have to wait and see. Yes, we will. Number four for me, one of the best-looking films you'll ever see. Hero. Hero. It's a good film. Very good. My number four, though, is Cinema Paradiso. Very nice. Very nice. Just missed my list. All right. Well, what about you? What's your number three? three? Yes. Number three. Yeah. Absolutely love this film. It is Pan's Labyrinth. Just missed my list. Wow, really? Yeah. I would have had it at six. Wow. Mm. Uh, I, I actually think that Pan's Labyrinth is considerably better than Hero. Like, they're all five stars for me. Mm. I love them all. But I think Pan's Labyrinth, my top three, is another tier. Okay. Well, we'll get to mine soon. My number three. We've already done a breakdown on it before. Your name. Yep. Not surprised it's there. All right. Top two. What do you got? Number two. Spirited Away. Okay. Well, my number two is Hero. Nice. Yeah. See, I didn't realise you loved it that much. Well, I love all these films. Very you know, they're, they're very all good. They're all... The rankings are very, very thin here between them. But our number one is, once again, the same film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is City of God. Yes, it is. What an absolute banger of a film. Brazilian Goodfellas. Fantastic. Absolutely. So, did we get a few people who uh, put City of God as their own? Well, we had over roughly 200 responses to this. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and there was a couple more people who put City of God, but unfortunately they put multiple movies on there, and that's just mm, cheating, guys. Guys, guys, guys. But overall, we had seven people who put the one and only City of God as their number one choice. So, as we do, let's put in the random number generator and find out what we're getting. Oh, I thought you were going to do your little... Beep, boop, beep, there it is. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, it is Corey Tatum. Corey. Very nice. Awesome. Good stuff, Corey. Awesome pick there for City of God. Get you some sweet, sweet merch from us. From us <laughs> at the IMDb journey. <laughs> We're both masters. Who won? How did it end? All right, mate. Let's find out who won the latest draft in our Pod V Pod 24 against Doody Dootrum from the Shaken Not Nerd podcast in our draft of horror slasher characters. And Duty was team one, and he had Freddy Krueger, Pennywise, the Xenomorph Queen, The Thing, and Ghostface. We were team two, and we had Jason, Mike Myers, Chucky, the Jaws Shark, and Norman Bates from Psycho. Do we have Mike Myers on there, did we? Oh, Ma- behave. <laughs> Michael Myers? That's the one. I was close. Now let's take a look at some responses. First one here from Skullsy95. Straight up, when I was a kid, my mum made me watch Scream and Children of the Corn. Now hardly any horror film scares me. So Shaker Not Nerd is the winner here, but Jason is a badass, so bonus points on that. Must have been enough bonus points, though, for the point. Your bonus points don't mean shit. <laughs> from Chris737, I am Debbie Journey. You have Jason and Michael and Chucky. They define slasher flicks for me. Melissa at the Brook Reading Podcast says, Shaker Not Nerd, definitely. Freddy and Pennywise can inflict their terror during your weakest moments when you're dreaming or by using your fears. That's scarier than the possibility of getting eaten by a shark. Clearly have never been eaten by a shark. Joe Stevenson says, IMDb Journey edges it. Nice. But basically nothing in it between the two. Former winners for your reference podcast say, what a frightful selection. We like both, but voted IMDb Journey for Norman Bates. Gianna Isabella says, I wish IMDb Journey didn't have Chucky, but I'm still voting for it. Well, then it didn't matter, did it? Carolina says, oh my God, this is like Sophie's Choice. And because I couldn't bring myself to choose, I did an eeny meeny. And Shaker Not Nerd got that eeny meeny. Damn it. Damn you. Juan Pablo Romero says, Shaker Not Nerd by far. Julio at the Contrarian says, well, I can't take Chucky seriously and Freddy gave me nightmares as a kid, so Shaker Not Nerd. Urban Angel says, Shaker Not Nerd has the best movies. I like that lineup. Bring on the weird says, gonna have to go with IMDb Journey. Sorry, but Ghostface is weak. 
Top five for fighting podcast says IMDb Journey. As much as we hate doll-based horror. Guessing they're not fans of the Annabelle films too. And lastly, from three hours later, Jake and Not Nerd, you can't sleep or have fear. They are supernatural. IMDb Journey is stay on land and drive. You're good. Eh, I guess that's the general theme of this one because looking at the results, 96 votes later, Duty takes it. Jake and Not Nerd gets 57% to our 43. Yes, which ultimately means that they tied with us for that round. Yeah, so that does mean a 1-1-1 tie despite Duty's zero <laughs> answers for the rest of it. So that's how you can survive a pod v pod. Win the draft. Now, well done, Duty. It was a good battle. Good yeah, fun. well done, mate. And for next week's question of the week, we're going to ask you guys, what is your favourite film of the 1950s? Very broad. Lots of good answers there to be had. So obviously anyone who gets our number ones gets us in the draw to win some sweet merch. <laughs> oh, Hendo. There's this tournament. Let the tournament begin! Okay, Dean, let's find out the results of the final eight in our best 1980s film tournament. The first match here, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, cleans house against Platoon, 80% to 20%. Next up, we have Blade Runner against The Thing, and The Thing just snuck over the line, 51% to 49 Yes, and that win by The Thing clinches the win for me in this bracket, as Dean can't get any closer to what I've got. I've got four points so far, so well done to me. Bravo, sir. Thank you. Back to the Future takes out Aliens in a 60% victory. Raiders of the Lost Ark defeats The Shining, 59% to 41. And that brings us to our final four. And we've got the number one seed, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back against the Cinderella movie number 21, mm, The Thing. I can see it winning. Really? I think this is where it bows out. Mm, you but never know. A much, much bigger match, I reckon. Much more closer, I think it's going to be. The number two seed, Back to the Future, Takes on the number three seed, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Holy shit. That is a match. It is a match. Yes. I think Back to the Future will get it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 50-50, in which case Back to the Future will win. (laughs) (laughs) But before we move on from these tournaments we like to do, we've been doing a daily film tournament on Twitter at the moment, and we just recently finished off our best Stanley Kubrick film tournament, which, as we always do when we have tournaments, we put on little movie bets for this. And while I did take the lead early with Spartacus taking out The Killing, when we got to the final four, it was all Dean. We had The Shining take out 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I had 2001, and he had The Shining. And we had Full Metal Jacket take out Doctor Strangelove, which I unfortunately had Doctor Strangelove, (laughs) and you had Full Metal Jacket with The Shining ultimately winning the best Stanley Kubrick tournament. So well done, Dean. You win that little bracket tournament bet. Nice. So you have a movie to give me. Nice. Do you want it now? Sure. Tournament's over. All right. I'm going to go with a movie I've heard discussed. Oh, I thought you were going to say a movie I've heard disgusting things about. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, I believe it's a documentary called Dear Zachary. Oh, yeah. Damn. This has been on my watch list for so long. I've just, well, thank you. No more. That's awesome. Watch it. Excellent. After you watch The Mirror. Yes. I'm still waiting to hear your thoughts on it. You'll hear both of those films on the next Pod V Pod. And at the time of this episode's release, we'll be a little bit through our Steven Spielberg tournament on Twitter. So if you follow us over there, head on over and vote in the daily polls to see which film is going to win that tournament. Yeah, and that's a that's a much bigger tournament. Thirty-two films. It's going to be that's going to be a good one. Mm, nice. So, what's next? Okay, Dean. Let's find out what film you're choosing to break down next fortnight. What are you going with? Have we got a black and white film? Have we got a foreign film? Have we got an old film? No, no, no. <laughs> awesome. Is it a franchise? Is it part of a trilogy? Is it? Is it no. a sequel to it? No. Is no. it a standalone film? Yes. Ooh. Do I, are we doing 20 questions here? Do I need to keep going? Okay, <laughs> if you want. I'm just seeing what number it is on the top 250 list. Oh, it's high. 
Okay. Uh, why don't you tell me what position it's in? I'll see if I can get it. Is it number 38? Okay. All right. I'll just say Gladiator. No, I think that's a bit higher than 38. Okay. What do we got? It is Roman Polanski's The Pianist. Okay. I've not seen this film in so very long. Yes. I was going to say it's a fun film, but it is definitely not. Oh, it's not a fun film. It is not at all. So, nonetheless, I'm looking forward to getting into it next fortnight. Absolutely. But next week is our Pod V Pod 25. We'll have a couple more awesome guests on to battle it out. And we'll be talking about what else we've been watching. You've watched a couple more movies, I gather, this time, mate? Yes, I've watched a few. Yeah, I've seen a couple, too. I've caught uh, Many Black International. Awesome. And we may or may not have a bonus episode out for Hobbs and Shaw. Why the hell not? (laughs) Yes, we'll see if we can bring ourselves to the cinema for that one. I'm not even sure I saw the last one. Not that it matters, but... Number oh, The Fate of the Furious. Well, the, you don't, this this is like a spin-off, so you don't have to worry about any of that. It's just these two characters, and it's a new thing going on. You know what's good, though? Idris Elba. Yeah. yeah nice. Love that guy. <laughs> now, we'll see how we go. But until next time, thank you very much, listeners. We will see you next week for Pod V Pod 25. Bye. Bye.